0: Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. I wanted to share something with you uh, about why we teach the way we teach and the things we teach, uh, because I have gotten some questions uh, about, you know, why do you teach this particular way or that particular way, and, and I want to make sure everyone's aware of what we're doing. And first and foremost, everything that we teach here on a Sunday morning and in our Bible studies needs to be biblical. Like, if you can't open the Bible and find it, then not something that we should be, should be teaching. Um, and, and there are some people that teach uh, what's called uh, topical. So they, their, their biblical teachings, and we do this, is on a given topic. So if someone says, hey, let's talk about death or let's talk about robbery or why does God allow bad things to happen, um, we'll, we'll teach on that. And my reasoning is, is because if you look through the Bible, uh, Jesus would often walk or he'd be walking around and then someone would come up and say, hey, here's my issue or my problem. Or he'd be tested by the Pharisees saying, what do you have to say about this? And he'd say, well, here's what I have to say about this. And his teaching was biblical, or uh, pretty much every single New Testament letter other than the Gospels, uh, it did one of two things. It was a bunch of churches or people in the church that wrote to Paul or Peter or John and said, hey, what's the deal with A, B, C, and there's this list of questions, and so they would answer those questions. They were teaching topically, responding to, here's your concern, here's what the Bible says about it, uh, or um, they would write to the churches saying, I have a concern about this topic, so let me tell you what the Bible says about it. So that, that's kind of why we teach topical, because it's biblical. But we also teach through books of the Bible, because it's the best way to reveal the Bible. And Jesus also did that on the road to Emmaus. He walked along, and he walked through you know, the entirety of the Old Testament, showing those two guys, here's what's in it, and here's how it points to me. So we kind of do both. Uh, But the goal is that as we walk through and teach and uh, talk about the Bible, that we would one, make Christ known. Uh, For some people who have never heard of Jesus Christ or don't know who he is or whatever, or for some people, yeah, I know about him, but now I know about him a little bit more because I didn't know this particular thing about scripture or, you know, God's viewpoint on this topic, and then hopefully move us all towards Christ. And as we move towards Christ, it would make us more and more, um, what the Bible calls, transform us into the image of Christ. So we will become more Christ-like. My hope is that every time we walk out of here, after spending time together, worshiping together, praising together, that we have taken just a little bit step closer into knowing God and becoming more Christ-like, that we treat people uh, more like Christ, that we act more like Christ, that we, you know, our words are more Christ-like in the way that we, in our post, our text, everything, uh, more Christ-like. Uh, So as we've been walking through the book of Genesis, um, I'm going to try to highlight, But if I miss it, look for, you know, things that show how patient God is with humanity, uh, things that point from Genesis towards Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and um, things that highlight, you know, God's love for humanity. Uh, And last week we talked about this. We were looking at, and I apologize again, this is small, I realize if you can't see it all, um, looking at the timeline... Uh, from Adam, if, let's say, Adam was created in year one, uh, going up to the birth of Noah, which is the 1,056 year after creation, uh, and we talked about all the things leading up to that. Uh, and we talked about the fact that, um, according to Genesis, God's perspective at that time was that uh, humanity was just awful, right? Full of sin, mean to one another, all that kind of stuff. But then Jesus, looking at that same period, says, that was kind of normal. It wasn't, you know, yes, there was this whole Lord of the Flies thing. Anyone read Lord of the Flies in high school? Okay. Anyone watch the movie? Okay. Movie, a lot more graphic when you see a bunch of little um, Ashers and Anis running around, like, literally trying to kill one another. That is It's just, don't get the movie. Okay. All right. Anyway, uh, so, yeah, that's what it was like from God's perspective, but Jesus says that was kind of normal because we looked at this last week in Genesis Chapter six. God looks down, uh, and he says that the earth was depraved and putrid in God's sight, and the land was filled with violence, desecration, infringement, outrage, assault, and lust for power. God looked upon the world, saw how degenerate, debased, and vicious it was, for all humanity had corrupted their way upon the earth and lost their true direction. So God looks down and says, "You know, it's it, it's done. It's over. Humanity has like reached that tipping point and gone beyond it. They're just all evil, all mean." but jesus in matthew 24 and talking about you know eschatology end time events uh, he says this he says as it was in the days of noah so it will be at the coming of the son of man so uh, again we're not going to focus on his return but he's talking about his return his second coming and he says it's going to be when he returns it'll be just like it was uh, in the days of noah and he says for in the days before the flood people were eating and drinking marrying and giving to marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark right they were eating they were drinking they were going to work they were going to see Black Panther movies which I'm going to this afternoon they were they were going to dances they were going to clubs people were sick in the hospital they were like hey are you okay normal life was going on right and he says and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away that's how it's going to be at the coming of the Son of Man so Jesus looks at that time and says they were going about life as normal They were going about their day, but God looks at that time and says life, the normal life that they had at that time was full of evil and sin. Now, today, right, we're a lot different because we have laws that are put in place to protect us from a a lot of those kind of things. When you think of desecration, like someone coming over or, or infringing their rights on you or taking over your property or or being violent to you or assaulting you, we have laws that keep people from doing a lot of those things. But it doesn't keep them from wanting to do it. And then there are some people who say, regardless of what the law says, I'm going to go assault or abuse or sexually abuse or steal or do this thing anyway. And that's really what what, God was getting at. It's not so much that, yeah, there was violence and all this stuff going on, but the heart of humanity was like, this is okay, and this is what I'm going to do, and this is the way that I'm going to treat other people. So we're going to jump through, and we're going to see God's response to this was, hey, I'm going to destroy all of humanity, all of mankind, and all of you know, the, the, uh, the planet, and I'm going to save a portion. So uh, I'm gonna put a couple of verses up here, but if you wanna open your Bibles to Genesis chapter seven, uh, we're gonna get there in a few minutes. And v- Genesis chapter six though, verse 13, God said to Noah, I intend to make an end of all flesh, for through men the land is filled with violence, and behold, I will destroy them and the land. And so he tells them, make yourself an ark of gopher or cypress wood, make it in rooms, or make in it rooms, stalls, pens, coops, nests, cages, and compartments, and cover it inside and out with pitch, bitumen, and there's a, uh, I don't know if it's true, fake news, whatever, uh, but there's a, a rumor that um, Rockefeller, when he read this, uh, he said that pitch, that butumen, that's gotta be oil-based, meaning there's gotta be oil over there. That's what prompted him to go and seek oil and all that stuff uh, in that region. Again, I don't know if it's true, but here's the thing. The Ark wasn't supposed to be a boat which is how most people picture it, right? He says build an ark. It wasn't meant to be something that, like if you get in the boat and you go down to uh, you know, Pittsburgh and you get on the, the ducky tour boat or one of those things, it's gonna drive you around. That's not what the ark was supposed to be. Like Larry and Sharon are on a cruise, everybody say hi Larry, he's not watching. Um, but he better not be, he's on a cruise. Like I would not watch here if I were on a cruise, I'd be out on a boat, what time is it? It's sun sunny wherever they are. But um, it was designed to just float. It was designed to be a flotation and rescue device only. Not a, hey, let me steer and drive, and I'm going to drive you guys to this place or that place. That was the only uh, purpose of the ark, which brings us to, and again, I said we're going to try to answer a lot of questions. Because a lot of people ask, was the flood in Genesis a global event? Was that that the whole earth? Or there's a lot of people that say, no, it was just a limited portion of of the earth, just that local region that was covered. And here's three things to think about. Uh, First, number one, God is a lot smarter than we are. How many people would agree? Hopefully everybody. Yeah, a lot smarter than we are. So if I were God and I were doing this and it was just a local flood, rather than build this big giant ark, I would just move everyone to a different area. I'd be like, Noah, I'm going to flood the south hills of Pittsburgh. So you need to go head over to the north side. No flooding there. I mean, th- doesn't that make sense? If it's just a regional thing that God would say, hey, rather than, hey, Noah, you and your guys spend all this time cutting down trees, pulling up gopher wood, and, and, and putting pitch over the side, and we're, we're going to talk about the size of this thing. So it took a considerable amount of time for eight people to do rather than do that god's a smart guy he would say hey you know what you guys can just move to this area because i'm gonna flood this area now another thing despite all the you know the archaeological evidence that says yeah there were disruptions and flood and land masses that broke uh ages ago the birds god saved i could understand the pigs and the and the dogs and the cat well i don't understand the cats either but all the other animals that God decided I'm going to save, but the birds, he tells Noah to save, because you would think, if it's a local just in this area, that the birds would just fly out, like when there's flooding, and there's no, oh, I'll fly over there, where there is a tree, and over there, where there is a mountain, but they didn't, all the birds died, which doesn't make sense, if it was just local to that region, right, I mean, it just, it just doesn't, here's the thing that really, really, and, and someone mentioned when we were praying for the flooding in, uh, I think it was uh, was it Elizabeth, Uniontown, all, all these places that flooded locally. Now, even though God uses, I'm gonna flood the entire earth language, his language is the entire earth, people say, no, he meant locally. So God didn't understand the difference between local and regional. But also, God says, well, I'm never going to do that again. How many people have heard news just in your lifetime of someone who has lost their life due to a local flood? I have. I mean, if you think about this last, was it hurricane season, all the flooding, and I don't know how many people, but there were people who lost their life to the local flood. So if God said, I promise there will never be a flood like this, if it's local, then those local floods are like that where people lose their lives saying, God's kind of lying, or he didn't know those local floods was going to happen, which means he's not really God at all. Or the other thing is true. God didn't say it's going to be a local flood. He said it's going to be a global flood. And to date, we have never seen a global flood again. And God has kept his word. He hasn't allowed that to happen. So I'm going to jump back in. Uh, Genesis chapter 6, he continues, verse 15, and this is the way you are to make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its breadth 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. That's 450 feet by 75 feet by 45 feet. And then he says, you shall make a roof or a window, a place for light for the ark. Finish it to a cubit, at least 18 inches above, and the door of the ark you shall put in the side of it. And you shall make it with lower excuse me, second and third story. So he says, when you create this ark, um, it's gonna be huge. I mean, it's, it's gonna be huge. And people ask, this is another question, uh, and I went looking for, what are the common things? These are really the only things that make people say, well, I don't believe in the ark. It couldn't have been a global flood, or there's no way you could have gotten all the animals and people to fit on the ark, and they're thinking of cruise ships, and they're thinking of boats, and it wasn't a cruise ship, it wasn't a boat, it was a flotation device, and we're gonna read about that. Just all it was designed to do uh, was to float and keep the water from getting inside. Now, um, the, the capacity of it, it was uh, lengthwise, about three football fields long. It was about five stories tall, and it had the capacity of 550 uh, rail cars. Now, how many people have ever been sitting at a light going down to the waterfront, trying to go to the movies, and, and, and the train thing comes down, and on average, or let me ask you this, what's the longest you had to wait waiting for the trains to pass? Anyone have to wait more than like two or three minutes? 20, 20 minutes, anyone else? Like 10 minutes, yeah. So the average is in that seven to, to nine minutes, and it depends, because some of them, uh, they're going at a higher speed, and they're, they're an average of 10 to 14 cars, that's usually what they, what they have, and you might wait three to five minutes. Uh, some of them might have 20 cars, and they're going slower because they're hauling more stuff or whatever the reason is. You may have to wait the 15 to 20 minutes. Uh, but for a 550 rail car capacity, you'd have to wait about an hour and a half to two hours. Waiting for, for the capacity that the ARC had, waiting for that to go behind rail cars, you'd have to wait about an hour to half to two hours. And God is a lot smarter than we are, because, uh, and again, since Larry and Sharon aren't here, we're gonna talk about them, because they're not watching. Uh, When they packed for their cruise, granted it was cold here, but they went to Florida and hopped on a boat where it's hot. They might have taken a jacket or two with them, but I don't think they packed like winter sweaters, winter parkers, and a couple of pairs of winter boots. Highly unlikely, right? Because they're pretty smart and plus they don't want to pay the extra baggage because you don't pack what you don't need. You take only the things that you need. And so God's pretty smart. So when he brought along the animals, even though it doesn't say it, if it were me, I'd probably pack or, or bring, even though they're packed in, uh, the baby animals. Because he says, you're, when we're going to read this, he says these animals are being brought so that they can repopulate the animal kingdom. I'm not going to bring the grandparent animals that aren't going to give birth anymore. And here's the thing, uh, uh, I know some of you, and there's a lot of people that buy chickens, right? Anyone ever bought like chickens? Or know people that buy chickens? When you go buy chickens, do you buy the full grown ones or the baby ones? Baby ones. Because you want them to grow, want to make sure they're healthy, and you want to make sure that they can reproduce. And when people go buy cattle, especially, or or when people buy dogs to breed, if you're going to breed them, make them have more babies, you buy the young ones that are able to have more babies. And believe it or not, God is as smart as we are. Now, not only that, because they ask about all the species, uh, and I looked this up on the internet, so that means it's, yeah. So uh, there are currently today 16 species of pigs, and one 1,000 species of sheep today, on the earth today, right? To me, a pig is a pig is a pig, a sheep is a sheep is a sheep, but apparently there are people who who look into this kind of things. 16 species of pigs, 1,000 species of sheep, right? That's a lot of animals. If God were doing this today, how many sheep and pigs do you think would have been on the ark? Not a whole lot. There would have been two pigs, male and a female, because they're unclean animals, and 14 sheep, seven males, seven females, because he said bring seven pairs of clean, one pair of the unclean, so even though there's like 16 species of pig, there would have only been two pigs and two baby pigs, and if you think of all the different species of animals, our mind says there's no way they could have brought them all, and he didn't bring them all. He just brought a male and a female, or if they were the clean animals, uh, he brought seven pairs of the clean animals. And here it is in Genesis chapter 7, verse 2. Take with you seven pairs of all the clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate. Now, in our mindset, if you jump ahead, a few hundred, I forget how many years, to the book of Leviticus, God actually reveals... Hey, people of Israel, here are the clean animals, here are the unclean animals. At this time, uh, Noah's probably like, dude, I have no idea what a clean animal is. I have no idea what an unclean animal is, which is good because God is the one who actually brings the animals. Uh, But he says, and bring seven pairs of the birds of the heavens, also male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. Sounds like it's global and all of the animals that are, are going to be impacted and even the birds will not be able to find a place to fly to. He says for in seven days I'll send rain on the earth forty days and forty nights and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. Now jumping back uh, a few verses up to six he says for behold I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh. In which is the breath of life under heaven. It sounds like God's intention is that this is going to impact everybody on the planet. He says, everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, and your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And this is the first time we see that word covenant. We're gonna dig more into that next week. And this is God's plan. He's like, hey, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm gonna rescue humanity, but I'm gonna make a covenant with humanity because before God didn't have have a covenant with humanity. He had a, hey, Adam and Eve, thou shalt not. Don't touch this. And they did. But now he says I'm gonna start over and I'm gonna have a covenant with humanity which the closest word that we have in our culture today that kind of impacts that is like a marriage covenant where there's a commitment between both parties. It's not one party saying I say this is what you do and you do it. It's both parties saying I'm willing to listen to you, submit to you, I'm gonna do this for you and you're gonna do this for me, all right? But uh, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter seven. We're going to walk through a lot of scripture really quickly, uh, two chapters, because the rest of the chapters really just talk about um, what the flood was like, how long the flood lasted, uh, how long the waters were on the earth, all that kind of thing. So in Genesis chapter seven and verse 11, this is what we read in the 600th year of Noah's life. On the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth and the floodgates of the heavens were opened and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And let me just, uh, because when we started this, we talked about, um, you know, all of these uh, human life level extinction events, things that would, you know, cause extinction. Uh, And what we're going to read is that there were, um, I don't know if you can call them earthquakes, but where the earth literally broke open and water burst forth. Uh, where the vapor water that was surrounding the atmosphere came down from out of space. And and all of these things contributed to uh, the flood. Now, uh, here's the other thing. Noah was born the 1,056th year after creation, right? Uh, It says, we didn't read this, I think we read this last year, I mean last week, but we may not have, uh, that when Noah was 500 years old, he gave birth to Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and every time I read that, I think Shemp, Mo, and Larry, no, Larry replaced Shemp, or Curly replaced Shemp. Or what, La- sorry, all right. Um, he did, yeah, okay. So Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, it's likely, I've heard some people say that, uh, how is that possible, all three born in the same year? Uh, either triplets, or one born, and then nine months later, two others are born. So either triplets, or twins. That's how it's possible. People are like, I don't believe the Bible because this says three people were born to the same mom in the same year, and it makes perfect sense to me that you have one child nine months later, you have two, or you have triplets. Uh, but then uh, in, in the 1,651st year, Lamech dies, and Lamech was the father of Noah. Lamech was the one who said, you know what? Uh, somebody punched me or bruised me, and so I took his life, and I'm okay with that. That was his mentality. And then, as we see in the 1,656th year, uh, it's actually the 600th year of Noah's life. That's when the flood happened. Verse, 18, verse 13, on that very day, Noah and his son, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kinds, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, everything with wings. Pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. In other words, Noah didn't have to go round up and say, I think these, are too un- uh, these ones are clean, so we only need two of these. I think these ones are in- unclean. God brought all the animals to Noah at God's command. And the animals going in were male and female of every living thing as God had commanded Noah. And then the Lord shut him in, and this is important, God sealed the door. Remember, this was God's rescue plan for humanity and for all the animals. And God was personally involved in that rescue plan. In the same way that Jesus Christ is personally involved in His plan for salvation. He doesn't just say, "Hey, I hope you put your faith and trust for me." He says, "I'm going to come down, I'm going to roll up my sleeves, stretch out my arms, and I'm going to die on a cross for you. That's what I want you to put your hope. your faith in not a God who is far removed from humanity and doesn't care about what's going on but a God who came down and gave his life because he loves us and he cares about what's going on and then it says for 40 days the flood kept coming on the earth and as the waters increased they lifted the ark high above the earth the waters rose and increased greatly on the earth and the ark floated on the surface of the water. And again, the ark was a a flotation device. If you're on a plane and they tell you, hey, pull out that flotation device because we're going down and we're going down in water, they're not expecting that device to get you anywhere, are they? They're just expecting that device to keep you alive until help comes. And that's what the ark was. It was a flotation device designed uh, to keep humanity alive. Now, drop down to verse 23. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. Men and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds of the air were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. And the waters flooded the earth for 150 days. Uh, And just really quick, again, sorry if you can't see this, but um, in the 600th year, the 17th day of the second month of Noah's life, that's when the flood started. And it rained for 40 days, and then the rain stopped. And then um, after 150 days, uh, the flood waters started to recede. But looking at uh, chapter 8, verse 1, God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. And I don't know if you guys remember, uh, but in Psalm chapter, I think it's 130, 103, 104, um, we're told... That it wasn't just he sent a wind, it was the literal voice of God. The psalmist writes, he, meaning God, set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. You, meaning God, covered it with the watery depths as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains, but at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took the flight. The psalmist is saying, hey, the reason that the waters receded and began to move is because God spoke it. Verse two of chapter eight, now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens have been closed and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the water had gone down. And on the seventh day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Now drop down to verse 13, by the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. And we're going to read, that's when they came out. So they were in this ark literally for a year and 10 days. On the 17th day of the second month, um, they went in, which was the 1,656th year after creation, the 600th year of Noah's life. They were on it, and they didn't come out until the 27th day of the second month of Noah's 601st year. So like a year and 10 days they spent on the ark um, with these animals, with floodwaters coming down, uh, or not totally with floodwaters coming down, but waiting for the floodwaters to go away. And then we read in verse 15, then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives bring out every kind of living creature that was with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number upon it. And Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives. All the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on the earth, they all came out of the ark together. And then in verse 20, Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed bird offerings on it. The first thing that Noah did when he got off the ark was build an altar. That word, and I'm gonna look this up to make sure, I'm probably still not gonna pronounce it right, uh, is mizbahak, mizbahak, altar, the English word. And it literally is, is it's a designated space to make a sacrifice to give thanks to god and it's the very first time in all of scripture so far because we're only in chapter 8 of genesis that that word altar is used and it's because the very first thing that noah does when he gets off the ark he says you know what god i want to thank you Now, I got to be honest because I read this and I find that a little bit hard to believe because when we get into tough circumstances, even when God does intervene, sometimes we grumble about it. But he's not complaining, okay, God, you know, where am I going to find a good latte now? There's nowhere else, no one else on the planet. Okay, God, what am I going to do for, for, for fun now? There's nowhere else to go. Okay, God, I spent a decade or two building and equipping and furnishing my old house, and now I don't even have a house. Okay, God, I was at that job. I had tenure. I was about to get promoted, and now you've moved me to this new location, and i got to start at the bottom. Because that's what we do even when God intervenes. We tend to look at the negative side and grumble. Instead of looking at the positive side, which is, thank you, God, I'm no longer in that position. And for Noah, thank you, God, I'm alive. Because I could have been dead and decomposing like probably the, the bodies that were scattered around at that time. The only reason that he did that is he, he, he's not like that he's any different than you and me. He just decided to put his faith and his trust in God. And we looked at this verse last week. And as the band comes up, we're going to close with this. Because Noah didn't complain about the circumstances he was in. Instead, he praised God for the circumstances he wasn't in, like dead, like everybody else on the planet, because as we looked and talked about last week, and we're going to end with this verse in Hebrews, uh, he was prompted by faith, Noah, being forewarned by God, concerning events of which, and yet there was no visible sign, he obeyed God. There was no, no, and we talked about this last week, uh, and this is why a lot of people believe that there was no evidence of rain falling on the earth yet, because from this verse, as far as Noah's concerned, there's no, God says he's going to flood the earth by rain? I've never seen anything like that. And because of that faith, that's why God rescued him. Because when in the beginning, Noah was rescued by God because he trusted God when there was no reason to believe God other than the simple fact that God is God. We can all look at all the things going on in our nation right now, whether it be the shootings, whether it be the violence, whether it be the, the, the division between governments and political parties, and even between churches. And we were talking about this at our board meeting last week, that we look around and say, God, we, we have no idea what to do. How do, you, how do you want us to reach people? How do you want us to connect people? What is it you want us to do? We can't see a path forward. And I forget who somebody said, only thing we can do is just trust God because he is God only thing we can do is just put our faith and trust in him even when we have no visible signs of what is to come of what's gonna work of what's gonna get us out of a situation that I, no visible signs that I won't be back here again next week or next year. No visible signs that I won't stumble, that I won't fail, that I won't fall. It doesn't matter. We've just got to trust God. So I'm going to you bow your heads. God, we know that uh, especially in our nation right now, times are tense. People are upset. Uh, levels of anger are increasing. People are looking to government to do something. People are looking to churches to do something. People are criticizing governments for the things they are doing. People are criticizing churches for the things they are doing. And we pray that we would not put our hopes and our dreams in man. We pray that we would put our trust and our faith in you as God. Trust that you can see a way forward, even when we cannot. Pray that those families that are, that, that are struggling and, and trying to figure out uh, how to move forward uh, when their whole lives have been disrupted by violence and our nation has been disrupt- disrupted by violence and our communities have been, again, disrupted by violence and loss of life. And we pray that all of those people all of those families, all of those communities, return to you and put their faith and trust in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.